Joe nice to be back here with you after being away for a couple of weeks. Nice to see your faces once again. It was good to be away. I spent about a week out with my family, and you wouldn't even recognize if you've been out to southwestern Kansas that that was southwestern Kansas. It's the greenest place in the whole trip between here and there. Mom said since April, and this was around J- July 4th, they'd received 20 inches of rain. That's more than they get in a whole year. Two nights ago, they got almost three inches. It was in the 70s, like, wow, where am I at? <laughs> so it was, it was very good to be out there. And then I attended a conference in Pittsburgh that i share a little bit with you about. But on the way, I stopped in Chicago to see a classmate of mine, a priest friend. And it turns out fortunate that I dropped in because his associate pastor was on vacation. He couldn't find any priest to help him, so the story goes. And on Saturday, he had an 8 a.m. mass, a funeral, uh, baptisms, a quinceanera, an afternoon funeral and an evening mass, and then four masses on Sunday, plus confessions that they hear on and on. He abides by St. Paul's words, those who don't work shall not eat. (laughs) Anyhow, it's good to be with him, and it was good... To return, just as these kneelers arrived, maybe you noticed them when you came in, I wrote about them a little bit uh, on Corpus Christi, just to give you a heads up that these were coming. So the kneelers were built with a purpose, that is to remind us of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist who we're about to receive. As you get closer, you can see the engraving on the top, and it's a host with sun rays along with the Greek initials for Jesus' name. The inscription in Latin and English are Jesus' own words. This is my body, this is my blood. Saying, you know, what you are about to receive is no mere symbol. And the Greek monogram and the Latin inscriptions, well, they remind us of church tradition, which comes to us from the apostles. The Greek and the Latin also communicate that we're involved in something mysterious, that extends beyond our present level of comprehension. Now, that centerpiece, the gold centerpiece, shows the consecrated host with the sacred heart carved into it. Now, this intentionally draws upon scientifically verified instances of Eucharistic miracles where the matter that is studied is identical with the heart muscle. Not a dead heart, but a living heart muscle. You can see verified cases of this, of Eucharistic miracles. And so that's what the carpenter was integrating into the design. The kneeler, for us, takes the place of a communion rail. No way to work a communion rail in here. So it functions in that way. Communion rail is an extension of the altar. So it suggests coming to God's table and being nourished by Him. Now, this responds to an increased practice of kneeling to receive Holy Communion. Maybe you've noticed that. Some I've been a little worried about, so I'm glad that a parishioner was interested in, in doing this project. It is our response until our new church, when there will be a communion rail, but we'll be able to use these for like weddings, Uh, and funerals, and such things. So kneeling to receive communion was a long-time practice, really until just recently. It's practical. I don't know if 
you notice this, but priests do, that especially as we age, we begin to sway with the wind just a little bit. And so we become kind of a moving target for the priest. So it's helpful in that respect. And it puts the priest at a a better height. You know, instead of me trying to go up like this, it's much easier down there. And it's efficient. So kind of in my cross-country tour, I I participated at Mass or celebrated at Masses where there was a huge crowd, maybe 400 people, and everybody received communion at the communion rail. And it was much more efficient than a line, which totally surprised me, because you don't have the delay for one person to move and the next person to come up, but it's the priest who gets his steps in and goes back and forth and back and forth. But it is efficient. But it does provide just a moment of additional preparation, especially at the communion rail, where you're kneeling just in silence before you receive our Lord. You know, either standing or kneeling is just fine. If you desire to kneel, then you need to come to the front, even if you're sitting in the back. And these are large enough and sturdy enough that if a couple wanted to kneel down together to receive Holy Communion, they certainly may do that. Now, this gives me a chance to kind of re-emphasize gestures and actions. You know, if you're going to come forward and receive in the hand, standing or kneeling, you want to make sure it's nice and flat. Don't try to grab the host or I'm going to bat your hand away, right? Um, but you, if you're standing to receive, you're going to bow first. Bowing is captured in that act of kneeling, so you don't bow if you kneel. Stand your hand flat, of course, say amen. If you're standing, then you step to the side, consume, make the sign of the cross, and on you go. If you're kneeling, you do all that together. Now, if you're going to receive on the tongue, will you bow again if you're standing? Give me a good target, please, um, to give communion. And then you'll cross and then depart. So a hand or the tongue is fine. Just mention, it's kind of a little-known fact, I think, that the church actually prioritizes the tongue. That was a standard until, uh, I don't know, 60 years ago or so. So why is this? Well, you might think a part of the priest's hands have been consecrated for this purpose, and the priest acts in the person of Christ. So it's as though, not as though, it's Christ who is feeding you. Now, if you're I suspect when you got married at the reception, you, the, the groom gave the little bit of cake to his wife, feeding her. So my understanding is that act originated from Holy Communion of the bridegroom, Christ, nourishing his bride, the church. Kind of cool. So I'm certainly grateful for these beautiful additions. The parishioners... Um, you know, worked with me on design and donated these, and uh, they're really well done. You know, gestures are formative, or they can be at any rate. You know, when gestures are meaningful, they correspond to the event, to the reality before us. So when Mahomes makes a great play, we applaud. We don't, you know, yawn. In other words, gestures match the meaning of the thing before us. So kneeling, like when everybody kneels, well, that says something or someone special is here. Now, this, of course, depends on the perception of what is before us. It depends on a worldview that permits a dimension beyond the physical. But to the majority of people nowadays, their worldview, which is like the lens that we almost never look at, but we always look through, to see the world, the worldview of most folks restricts reality to matter, to the physical world. 
So when a wheat host is held up by the priest and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, it's practically incomprehensible to the majority of folks as studies show because there's no dimension beyond the material is what we're taught. The glasses through which we're looking at the world don't permit this to make sense. For modern men and women, the physical world is simply material for the development and use of technology in order to increase our productivity, convenience, and wealth. The use of nature, which includes the human being, is governed primarily by only what's technically possible. If I can technically do it, then, well, there's no ethical reason in matter that says that I shouldn't. But what do we hear Jesus say in the gospel? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The physical things of this world can reveal something beyond themselves, something hidden, invisible, transcendent. There's more to the world than meets the eyes. And prominent scientists have suggested this too recently. For example, Stephen Hawking, maybe you know the name. He was a theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and atheist. He died in 2018. In that same year, he wrote that we've come to a point that eternal inflation, that means expansion of space, is unsustainable. It needs a beginning. Saying that the universe has always expanded is not viable, he said. Which means what? There must be someone who started it. Having nothing at the beginning requires something transcending physical reality. Thomas Hertog, a cosmologist, and Thomas Banks, a physicist, rule out eternal inflation and an infinite multiverse, an infinite number of universes. They say there's too much design or order in the world for that to be true. The odds of our world randomly coming into being with the amount of design and order it has are the same odds as a monkey typing the entire corpus of Shakespeare in a single try. That's one lucky monkey. <laughs> now, what's interesting is that while materialism and neo-Darwinism are more and more seen as flawed theories in the scientific community, our educational system remains rooted in them. The conference I attended was called the ICLE, Conference Institute for Catholic Liberal Education. Liberal here doesn't mean what you see on MSNBC, but it stands for liberal arts, sometimes described as classical. Liberal comes from the Latin word for free. So they're arts that free the student from flawed ways of reasoning, of living, of being a human being. Now I have to say, I think it was my favorite moment in the whole conference the vendors, sponsors, if they donated, it seemed like at a significant level, contributed at a significant level. They were getting a little bit of time behind the microphone. And lo and behold, our architect was one of those. So he gets up, he introduces himself, and he begins to talk about some of the current projects. And he shows examples of our buildings. He says, here's a project I'm working on in Kansas. And the whole place, 400 plus people go, wow. <laughs> I began to change how I introduced myself after that. 
Hello, I'm from Kansas. I have farm ground. Maybe you've seen our designs. Yeah, come work for me, please. So it, uh, their, their mission is to reclaim and renew Catholic education. It's a nationwide movement. It was 400 plus, and I would say devout people. And the reason why I say this is the way in which mass was celebrated. This big old church, and the organ, I think, was played for the entrance and the recessional hymn only. Everything else was done a cappella, and the church was just full. It was primarily teachers, but also administrators and a few of us priests. Now, they came mostly from schools that are transitioning to this approach to education, which is much more difficult, because now you're talking about shifting what you've done for so many years and the worldview that you've been using. But whole dioceses are doing this. The whole diocese of Lansing, for example, is doing this because the bishops are seeing what's going on and saying, okay, we've got to do something new. I was encouraged time and again by people who said, just open your doors and your classrooms will fill. So reclaim and renew. Let me go into this just a little bit because this is what we're doing. Most Catholic schools have attempted to wed the faith with modern secular education. And it hasn't been too successful. So essentially it's been put across on the wall, add a religion class, and then use the secular curriculum. But it hasn't worked too well. Do you know the median age that a Catholic becomes disaffiliated with the church? The median age, do you know what the median age is when a person says no more to the Catholic church? 13. 13 years old, we've missed something. Now, different understandings of the human person are at the root of the differences between Catholic liberal classic education and modern education. Education, its methods, its curriculum, like gestures, correspond to what we understand is before us. What is this human being? Progressive modern education is 60, 70 or so years old, and it's especially geared towards college readiness and skills. John Dewey is the most prominent figure to give shape to modern American education. Dewey was a functional atheist. He didn't believe in asking the age-old questions, who is man, what is his purpose? He didn't ask it because he didn't think we could know. The goals of modern education come out in various places, like in the Common Core documentation, which goes like this. It's designed to ensure students are prepared for today's entry-level careers, freshman-level college courses, and working force training programs, and to provide a way for teachers to measure student progress throughout the school year and ensure that students are on the pathway to success in their academic careers. The emphasis clearly is on skills and measurement. Nothing wrong with that, but that's where the focus is almost exclusively see students kind of as workers and consumers. And it comes out in the amount of grading that's done. Teachers know this. They sampled a seventh grader. One seventh grader in one year had been graded or scored 904 times. That's one. Can you imagine what that teacher is doing for the whole year? See, the church sees education as a process that in light of man's transcendent destiny forms the whole child and seeks to fix his or her eyes on heaven, on the true, the good, and the beautiful, and to see all the disciplines in that light. Catholic education sees the transcendent dignity of the human person. 
So transcendent means beyond matter, which implies spirit, mind, design, purpose. And that indicates right and wrong and how to live. And you can see how this bears on everything that we do, from attending to people at a hospital to counseling them at a school. We're more than what we can make and greater than what can be measured. There are two different goals. Catholic education can't be simply united with something forward to its understanding of the human person. Let me close with this. John Paul II said, Catholic education aims not only to communicate facts, but also to transmit a coherent, comprehensive vision of life. And the conviction that the truths contained in that vision liberates students in the most profound meaning of human freedom. Friends, teachers and staff and administrators in our public schools and Catholic schools are heroes. They are heroes, and they are widely sought after. Just think, though, what they could do for the worldview of their students if the educational approach was rooted in the truth of our humanity that's revealed in Jesus Christ. Such is the possibility of our future academy. Such, it seems to me, is the natural response, gesture of those who see and believe.